which is structuring a property deal. And we're going to get to that just in a second. Remember, as it is a Tuesday, you can look forward to Balinoko bringing you the farming podcast later on this evening. I'm quite excited about the topic that she'll be covering you know, later on the show. I've been seeing her posting on her social media platforms as well as, of course, private properties, social media platforms. So do look forward to that at 8 p.m. And of course, tomorrow evening at the same time, you can catch Esti Klaassen on the First Time Home Buyers Show, where she's always in conversation with people who have walked that first time home buying journey and have gone on to grow their property portfolios from strength to strength. Before we get started with our conversation this evening, remember we are running our competition where you stand a chance of walking away with 500 rands cash every single evening. Uh, It has been rolling over for a few days. It's sitting at 2,000 rands and, and I do hope whoever we're going to be calling out this evening is watching us live and is going to claim that money. I know a lot of you at home especially our Facebook page, uh, once that want that money. And I've been seeing you, you know, posting. Uh, I think yesterday somebody was even saying that they are cousins, they're twin, they're they're twin with the person who you know had won yesterday. But this evening we're gonna see if our lucky winner is watching us live to claim their prize. And if you at home want to send a chance of walking away with that cash, make sure that you interact with the pinned post on our Facebook page. Well, let's get right into this evening's conversation. I know that the tech gremlins have eaten away at our time. We're looking at structuring a property deal. This is, you know, structuring a property deal 101 for beginners. For me, this is one of my all-time favorite, uh, you know, topics because if anything, it cuts through just about everything you need to know when it comes to property, because you really do need to understand various layers and various facets when you're structuring a property deal. And sometimes even if you know, you've got one financier and that one financier could easily be the financial institution, you still need to understand what the fundamentals are when it comes to a property deal. What do you need to be looking out for? What are some mistakes uh, you need to watch out for and how? How can you best um, even position your value proposition when you're going to be approaching private um, you know, individuals or company to fund your property um, ambitions or property d- deal? And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at this evening. I'm joined by Grant Smeo, who's a director at Only Realty Group. Grant, good evening and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Hi, Rizam. Thanks for having me again. I think for the viewers at home, I want 
want to find out from you, you know, have you ever had to put together a property deal? And what did that process teach you? I'm going to share later on in the show uh, some of what I've learned when it comes to put, putting together a property deal. And, and really one of those things that I, I still carry with me to date. But I want to find out from you at home, have you put together a property deal? What did you learn? What did you, uh, you know, discover along the way as you're putting that deal together? Do you share some of those insights with us down here below now grant i think you know at a high level when we're looking at structuring it you know and i think this is one of those things that can be very fun for uh, especially the finance guys i always say to people i'm not particularly a finance person um when it comes to you know the the fine detail but i'm i'm very good at understanding you know some of the fundamentals and we, and we always talk about understanding particularly your financial fundamentals, what would you say are some key financial fundamentals when it comes to structuring a property deal, especially for beginners at home? Yeah, so I think the first thing you need to consider when you look at a, a property deal is really what outcome are you trying to achieve? So if you're looking to flip a property, there's certain things you need to look at. If you're looking to buy and hold a property for the long term or medium term, there's other, other sort of elements you need to look at. So you know, if you're looking to flip a deal, what is the cost of going into the deal? What's the cost of the money or the finance that you um, are making use of? And then what's the cost of going out of the deal? So uh, estate agent fees, capital gains tax, um, or, or trading income or income tax against that property deal. Then if you're looking to buy and hold, um, again, it's the cost of buying the property, renovating, and then the cost of holding, you know, um, levies. And, and we've had this conversation before. Look at the, the cost of levies, look at the cost of rates and taxes. And then again, um, and, and even potentially the cost of, of ongoing maintenance and um, and your management fees, and and you know again the cost of, of the money um, to to hold that property. So uh, and ultimately on both instances, we're looking whether you buy and hold or or looking to flip a property. It really comes down to the return on investment. How much money are you putting in, and what return are you getting on that on that money? I mean, I know a lot of people, um, particularly finance guys, like you say. We'll get into to much more complicated and complex calculations and and do all these sorts of fancy things and ultimately what i have found over the last sort of 17 years um it really really comes down to return investment how much money am i putting out putting in how much money am i getting out what's that return Mm-mm-mm. and i think you know one of the things with working with finance guys is and and i've, I've spoken about this on the show quite a bit is they want to look at the granular details they want to understand what the the cost per square meter is what the return per square meter is and more often than not when you're starting out you're certainly not looking at any property investment or property deal you know at sort of that granular level and even understand sort of every thousand rands or every hundred rands that's going into uh, a particular property of course the bigger the property the bigger the numbers uh they'll they'll look at the scale of it but i think at a beginner level it's so important to not get swept away with i think the the excitement of owning a property or the excitement of having a tenant who is making their rent on time and you thinking, well, I'm collecting this rental, uh, but ultimately not understanding, you know, the full on costs that come with that property. Because I think we we often make that mistakes. I know one of the mistakes that I certainly made early on in my own property investment journey was not factoring in the upfront costs, as you were saying, right? So as much as we talk about, you know, budget for the transfer fees, the attorney fees, uh, if you're going to have any, you know, transfer duty budget for that 
When we then run our numbers and as far as our return on investment, we no longer factor those costs. It's almost as though we forget we, you know, we made all these payments upfront, and we're now only looking at the, you know, the monthly running costs of the property. You're looking at the bond payments, the levies, if it's in a sectional title community, or if you're paying an HOA, and of course the, you know, the rates and taxes. But you no longer actually factor in even the cost of that facility, because I think this is also one of those costs that we tend to not factor in uh, when we're looking at, you know, a deal that we're running. When we then look at some of the mistakes, because I think that would probably be mistake number one, right? Not looking at the overall costs of going into a deal. And this one, I want us to look at exiting and an exit strategy. Um, I I found I'm not particularly too great on the exit side of a deal. Uh, you know, very great at, at at an entry level and optimizing my returns throughout the journey. But the the sell side haven't quite mastered that side. But we'll deal with that later on the show. When we look at some of the common mistakes, Grant, that you you'd see people making, you know, what would you say they are, especially in the context of people who are buying multi-lets because I'm seeing a lot of people wanting to you know go the multi-let strategy or house hacking as some people call it because they, they're finding that look the returns there are, are great you know that you've spread your risk uh you know, quite well what are some common mistakes that you're seeing people making when they're building their property portfolio um by buying multi-lets in particular yeah so I mean uh, the first one is is being the, the eternal optimist I think a lot of people go into the space um, just assuming the best um, and not making provision for the worst. So not making provision for voids, not making provision for maintenance. Um, you know, uh, multi-lets or, or um, these communes are, are really, uh, you know, hard-wearing properties. You know, you've got a lot more tenants in there than the property was bought for. Tenants do, um, t- or, or the amount of tenants does take its toll on the property and, and it's not a, a large um, sort of allocation for, for maintenance during the period as well. Um, and, and then I think the second one, so, so being an eternal optimist, not catching for uh, a hidden cost, I suppose. And the other one then is just um, looking at the cost of money. Um, multi-lets are notorious for being difficult to finance. Banks aren't that excited about them, um, although they really should be. And, and it's sort of a, a big trick that the banks um, have and will continue to miss for whatever reason. Uh, maybe it's just not understanding that space. But, um, you know, they are difficult to finance. And, and traditionally, you'll go into the private finance sector to try and get finance for these, but then you look down the, you look the gift horse in the mouth and you don't want to take financing from an investor who's willing to give you something at 12 or 13%, although sometimes these things are returning 20, 25%. So, so just, you know, you don't want to walk away from a good deal because of the cost of finance. You can always, you know, once the, the deal's in place and it's working and, and you can go improve um, the financials, you can go and get further finance and cheaper finance, but don't look the gift horse in the mouth if there is finance available. Mm-mm-mm. If you are just joining us this evening, I'm in conversation with Grant Smear, who's a director at Only Realty Group. We're looking at structuring your property portfolio, uh, you know, structuring your property portfolio 101, especially for those who are still uh, relatively new in the property game. I think we'll do we'll do a master version, right? A, a, a slightly more advanced version of this because there are different ways to structure a property deal that are very creative and innovative and using a combination of different kinds of finance. I think more often than not, we're very used to using one kind of finance for a property deal, uh, as opposed to you know, using and playing around with different variations. And we'll definitely do an advanced version of this. But this is at a beginner level. If you're looking at uh, structuring a property deal, 
this is some of what you need to look out for. I want us to go to, for a quick break and see who the potential winner for this evening's 2,000 Rand cash prize is. And when we come back, uh, Grant, I want us to look at how can viewers at home uh, you know, position themselves when it comes to you know, raising private capital? Because as you were saying, more often than not, when we're dealing with multi-lets, banks tend to be very reluctant to fund them. And we're increasingly seeing a lot of you know, up-and-coming mm-hmm. Young property entrepreneurs and investors wanting to go into that space and seeing a gap in the various communities that they're operating in or want to uh, penetrate and want to raise capital. And sometimes there are some of us who have the capital to kind of play around with and looking at different deals to go into. On on the one hand, how do you structure a deal to make it um, appetizing for various private backers who may have some funds to uh, put in your deal? And also then on the other side, how can the private backers, because I'm also not taking it that every private backer uh, has expertise, but how can they also best adequately vet the people approaching them for this capital um, and for them to also be clear on what their exit strategy and how they're going to uh, make returns on a particular deal. Let's go for that quick break and see who the lucky winner is of the 2,000 rands that is in the money bag. And this evening's winner for that 2,000 rands that is in the money bag is Megan Matthews. Uh, Megan Matthews, if you are watching, you are this evening's lucky winner of the 2,000 rands uh, for our competition. Remember, you have to drop us a text before the end of the show to claim that 2,000 rands cash prize. I know many people at home are counting on this rolling over and rolling over and rolling over. We're going to see if Megan Matthews is indeed watching us and will claim that prize. And I already see some of the love that we're getting on our Facebook page. Um, Abeta, Albertine, Geraldine, Carlos, uh, Queen Tako, uh, as well as Uno Ninko Ta watching us on our Facebook page. Do keep that love coming up. And of course, I also want to find out from you at home as we're looking at structure a property deal uh, and certainly looking at it from a beginner's perspective some of the fundamentals that you need to be aware of some of the mistakes you want to make sure that you watch out for and how you can approach private investors and best positioning yourself for those private investors and i found out from you at home if you've ever you know structured a deal how did you go about doing it and how what were some of the lessons that you learned even as you you know tried to raise capital for your property venture we've got on our facebook page one of our top fan gang members howard mukatsani saying uh, please do structure your deal from negotiating the purchase, ensuring you're buying slightly below market to negotiating your interest rates for as long as you get the lowest. And most importantly, do apply the registration for a higher bond. And I absolutely love that one, right, uh, Grant? And we'll talk a little bit about that, especially for those who are looking at sort of single units, uh, you know, registering a higher bond. 
And in as much as when you access the money, you know that let's say you register 1.5 and the, and the bank uh, also agrees that you can register 1.5, but you know that you've only asked for a million rands uh, from the bank. And so you've got that you know half a million rands buffer uh, should you need it in the future. We'll talk a little bit about that. We've got Mata Shungang is saying, I watch with admiration those who get into deals with big property developers would be interested in knowing how that works. And, and Grant, can speak a little bit about it. I mean, we, we've spoken to to Grant about it when we looked at you know buying into a new development. Um, firstly, as at an individual basis, but also as an investor, how oftentimes you are able to make quite a good return when you get in very early with a developer, and the various ways that people are doing so. I think Grant, let's start. With, let's start with Martha's one because I think this is this is an easy low hanging fruit. You know, getting into a, a deal with developers very early on. So more often than not, it's even before you know they break ground how can people uh get a sense of you know which developer they can even approach to be able to get into that kind of relationship with them yes i mean it's sort of this is one of those contentious spaces where you know buying buying early into development you you get big returns particularly phase one um you know the, the developers early on are trying to prove to the banks or their finances that they can sell the development so they they're very keen to to get um uh, offers to purchase signed as, as quickly as possible and get guarantees in place. So you can, if you're going to go into uh, developments where, uh, and my first suggestion here is look at developers with, with a proven track record. I mean, it's vitally important. Either proven track record or, or management team with a proven track record. It's almost um, when you're inve- investing into development, you're actually develop- investing into the development company um, when, you, when you're getting in early because there's no actual assets under, underpinning your, your purchase. So look at the development team, understand their background, do search on, on you know, social media and, and the internet's an amazing thing. You can find a lot of detail about people these days, particularly where they've done um, things uh, with shortcuts. So I would check out the development company. Um, there are some big guys at the moment that are charging a premium. <clears throat> Not going to name any anyone that, that you know, I shouldn't, um, but there are guys that maybe you shouldn't look at. Um, but be careful when you go into developments. There are issues around uh, buying into large developments where there's a, a tenant focus. Um, you know, my suggestion is look at ones where there's a much higher percentage of owners, um, owner occupiers, and those are, are generally better looked after and gain better capital value in in the medium term. Um, and just again, look at the existing demand around those areas, you know, particularly areas that are, are booming at the moment. You don't necessarily want to buy into larger development because your competition is going to be immense over the next uh, sort of five to seven years. Mm-mm-mm. And when we look at Howard's, uh, you know, point around registering that higher bond, I think this is one of those strategies that uh, a lot of newbies and even people who've been doing this uh, a little bit tend to not know upfront, you know, the ability to to register that higher bond. Just take us through how how somebody at home uh, would use that strategy and the benefit of using that strategy, especially when it comes to unlocking some capital, you know, a few years down the line. Yeah, so essentially, I mean, it's a cost-saving method and, and sort of just um, simplifies the process for you to access capital that you've created within your property. So using your numbers, you register a 1.5 million rand bond against a, a, million, a, a purchase of a property. You only need a million rand bond from the bank and you'll be paying uh, your repayments on that million basis. But if you then want to access at a later stage, uh, the 500,000 rand, you can do that quite easily without getting that second set of attorneys involved and the transferring attorneys, and you approach the bank to then access that. They'll generally uh, send out a value to just ensure that 
their, their money is protected, but you won't have to register an additional bond element or a secondary bond against that property, which sometimes the banks don't like doing. So it's a much easier way just to access finance of um, a property, particularly we've bought a property under value. It's a really good strategy to create future finance opportunity. And again, the, probably the cheapest form of finance that you'll get um, is, is bond finance. Mm. I, I think if anything, it's probably such a great, time especially right now uh where you know where the, the the cost of that credit facility is, is so low if you know that even when interest rates go up which we know that they're going to go up uh, you're able to find a really great property uh, and really push down that purchase price as low as possible. And, and the value still, you're still going to get away with, you know, being able to register that higher bond just based on, uh, you know, the value of that property. It's probably a really great way to secure uh, your ability to access that, uh, you know, capital at, at a later stage. Now, Grant, I think one of the big things is then for viewers at home who are looking to not only go the bank route or perhaps not even go the bank route at all. So if you're looking at targeting your, your, your private uh, financiers, particularly those, because I'm seeing this quite a bit, you know, those who, who've got the capital, they're looking at financing a deal and, you know, would sometimes say, let's say in the next two or three years, these are the kinds of returns that I'm looking to have. How can you then at home sort of best position that deal for people who have the funds um, to be able to finance that deal, especially when you're not going to be using, you know, any aspect of the bank's financing? Yes, I mean, you know, the, the, the first thing and the, and the easiest access is the bank of mom and dad. Um, you know, those are the people who should trust you the most. Um, who should uh, give you the most access to financing. Um, but, but ultimately, no matter who it is, whether it's your parents or friends or family or, or sort of colleagues, there's two elements to any investor. And what they want is they want um, returns on their money. Um, and part two is security or de-risking their money. So they understand what the risk is and what the security underpinning that asset is. So whenever you're going to put a proposal together, those are really the things you need to address is what returns you can provide them uh, on, their, on their funding, um, considering the deal in place, and then how do you de-risk uh, that investment? So how do they know they're not going to um, lose their money? Now, the easy thing in property is that um, any finance is underpinned by, by a property, which is um, sort of a big advantage here. And while, while generally even financing from bank is provi uh, provided at a much lower rate than, for example, credit cards or loans, because there is, uh, is asset back, so that's useful. But what you need to do is then figure out, which some of you mentioned earlier, how do you get that investor's money back to them? So if you're looking to do a flip deal, it's a much easier sort of conversation to have. I'm looking to get into the property, another property within a year. But if it's a longer-term holding strategy, you're going to have to be quite clear on how you pay that money back, whether it's a refinancing process in, in, um, over a period of time or whether you, you may be going to pay them back um, on a repayment basis uh, during that period or, or for over a longer term. Um, but generally speaking, you know, you're going to approach investors that are looking to do two to three years. Um, very rarely, I think you're going to get somebody that's willing to park their money with you for 10 years. Um, and then you'd need to have an exit strategy and be very clear on, on how you can get the money back to them. And I think, you know, Grant, when you look at it, is a strategy, I want just to look a little bit on some of the people I know are looking at potentially financing uh, people's deals. I mean, I, I, I get approached with this, you know, quite a lot. Some people say, look, I've been approached and uh, I've got a bit of money 
lying around, uh, you know, how can I best assess whether this is a good deal or not? Uh, and, and, and almost a, a question around, I think, beyond the good deal is how can I also make sure that I'm able to exit. Then for a financier, so your private financier, you may have you know, some money, um, a bit, and you have you know, the friends or the family reaching out to, to back their, their uh, property deal. How do you also sort of best make sure that you're able to uh, firstly understand, have a very clear exit strategy? Because I think one of the key things that a lot of people seem to struggle with both from the person raising their capital but sometimes also for newbies who are you know in looking at financing people's projects is having a very clear exit strategy so there isn't a, a clear path of okay i'm getting in with you know half a million uh, i want to be in for x period of time what would exiting look like for me and if i exit at different stages of this deal what are some of the returns that I'm looking at? I found that that tends to be lacking, um, especially for sort of newbie players uh, within the property space. So how can then on the, I'll say the investor side where you're the financier, how can you almost have a, a clear view of your exit strategy? Because I think see-through is such an important thing that I think not a lot of us are able to have a good sense of. Yes, I mean, you know, again, it's about understanding the strategy that the investor is going into. So while they're buying the property, what's the purpose? Um, what's the term hold that they're going to hold? Um, it also comes down to then the agreement. So uh, my recommendation is there always needs to be at least two exit strategies out of any deal. Um, and that's for the investor. Um, that's for the <clears throat> sort of private investor. But that's also for the property investor buying the deal. You know, if you're going to buy a property for a flip and the deal doesn't work, you need to be able to either rent it out, put it into multi-let. Um, you know, subdivide, do something, develop it. Um, there's got to be some other exit strategy. And on the same vein, the private investor needs to have more than one exit strategy, whether that means um, a sale of the property to come out of the deal, other financing that comes from uh, from somebody else that can replace your finance, um, you know, refinancing with the banks. There's got to be multiple options for that exit in the timelines. Part two is you need to work on, on, on best case scenario and worst case scenario. So assume that going into, for example, a flip deal, you're going to get your money back with your returns in six months, but also maybe make the assumption that within a five-year period, you might um, sit getting a monthly return and cater for that. You shouldn't really be investing private money with a uh, property investor that you're going to need in 18 months' time. You know, that money is, needs to be sitting somewhere that's parked and you need to understand that if you park it into a property, you know, bricks and mortar is notoriously illiquid, um, particularly if the market turns against you, which you, you have no control over. So it, it's important that you do have multiple exits and multiple scenarios um, sort of catered for. And that's not only in the conversations that you're having, but also in the agreement that you put in place between yourselves. And I think this is one, if we talk about big mistakes that um, people make when they invest in property and, and particularly private finances, is not having a very clear agreement in place and also not having the legal means to to go uh, and enforce those um, agreements when they when they're done. So my suggestion is 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 certainly getting an attorney involved to make sure that your interests are protected, and that's both parties, uh, not just just the private investor. And you know, Grant, I think one of the really big things, uh, and I want to echo to viewers at home, especially right now, as we're seeing a lot of people increasingly getting excited about investing in property and being able to see different opportunities in their respective communities and filling different gaps is that you still want the services 
of a professional. Uh, always get an attorney involved the moment monies are going to be transferred. It's not enough to say, you know, Uzamantongwa, you see her live every single evening. Uh, and so even when you're dealing with somebody who is, you know, we'll say relatively known or you know them from somebody, uh, you know, adequately do, doing your due diligence and, of course, uh, you know, getting an attorney involved uh, in any property deal becomes such an important part because ultimately it's monies that are getting involved. It you, You're not just buying a pair of jeans. So you want to make sure that uh, those basics are covered. Now, I was saying to viewers at home that I will share a little bit about some of my own um, mistakes. I think that I made very early on in my in my property journey when it comes to structuring structuring and dealing. It's something that you know Grant had actually highlighted, and that's being uh, too optimistic. Uh, I think more often than not, when we look at the numbers, you you know you kind of have the the high end of what the returns could potentially be. And I think earlier on in my own journey, I, I used to run the numbers more on the optimistic side and, you know, wasn't factoring, uh, you know, vacancy rates and kind of, you know, assumed that I would get sort of the maximum for the respective properties as opposed to being slightly more prudent on the you know on the income that I was expecting or projecting for the property and buffering in maintenance. I think I learned very early on, uh, having made this mistake early on, that rather overestimate what you'll potentially spend on maintenance and budget that in. Um, and obviously the aim is not to reach that target, than to underestimate your maintenance uh, budget. And, and then increasingly exceeded. Like those for me were the two things that I typically didn't look at. And some of the you know earlier properties uh, initially would need work. And so also underestimating the costs of you know, doing refurbishments, uh, which is partly why I've become you know, really great at you know, running numbers when it comes to refurbishments. I think the last time we were even talking with Gondra was saying how I'm a stickler for you know, tiles. I, I know what tiles cost. I know how much cement costs because I buy tiles and cement um, you know, that regularly. And there's just certain items that one would need in, in a property that I buy fairly regularly and have a good understanding of what that cost is. So rather overestimate those as much as possible and, and you know, factor them into your deal and factor them into running your numbers um, than be prudent in them. If anything, if you want to be prudent, be prudent on the income side. And you're, you're more likely to be more successful if you do it that way. I see more of the love that we're getting on our uh, Facebook page. Um, Sarifi Mwasheng saying Megan had an extra time to make a claim. Fulufelo Hope saying I really need it. Of course, referring there to that 2,000 Rand cash prize that is up for grabs. And we see that Megan Matthews, unfortunately, has not claimed uh, the money. She's got a few more uh, you know, minutes to potentially claim it. I want to wrap up with you, though, Grant, this evening. When we're looking at the the, you know, the newbie property investor uh, right now, what final tip would you give to them when it comes to structuring their property deal that they always need to bear in mind, even as we'll cover, you know, uh, intermediate and more advanced levels of structuring a deal in future episodes. But certainly one of those common threads that are crucial regardless of which level you're in. Yes, I mean, um, you know, structuring structuring such a broad subject. So we only had half an hour, and it's um, we can speak hours about this. Um, you know, so so I, I think um, you know, the most important thing for me is is when you get into this property space, 
we're talking big numbers, you know, even the smallest property in South Africa, you, you're talking 400, 500,000 rand. Very few people can afford to lose that sort of money. So I maybe just want to highlight mm. the importance of professionals in the process. I think, you know, professionals at every level, there are very good bond originators. There are very good people that are invested in finance. They're very good attorneys that do structuring. And, and you know, we talk about property deals that do installment sale agreements and, and standard agreements and, and private finance agreements and, and uh, company loan agreements, all those sorts of things. So I think it's vitally important that at every stage, you don't look at the, at the cost of these people because they're actually ultimately protecting you and saving you from losing um, a lot of money um, in the property space. You know, we're not talking, again, a thousand or two thousand rand, yeah, we're talking a lot of money. So, so the big thing for me in newbies that I see is that they try and do things via Google or um, Facebook warriors um, take suggestions or Facebook groups and that sort of thing versus addressing and speaking to professionals that they are paying for their advice that are, are have got a proven track record and expertise in the space. Okay. And I think that's actually just such a great note to leave it uh, in Grant that you want to work with professionals because uh, ultimately what you're going to spend when it comes to property is going, probably going to be the most expensive thing that you'll ever spend on. You know, as Grant was saying, even the, the, the lower end uh, property in South Africa is 400, even up to half a million. The majority of South Africans don't even make that per annum. So you really do want to make sure that from the get-go, you're working with professionals and you're, you're, you're not cutting corners because there's a way that cutting corners especially in the beginning part you know catches up with you in ways that ends up costing you quite a lot of money later on so rather be clear uh, from the get-go um particularly when you're structuring a deal i think don't don't skimp on the professional services it's very easy for us to think we can find a friend who can do it uh, but you really do want to work with people People who do this for a living, and this is what they, you know, they ultimately do uh, to be able to help you structure your deal. Grant, it's always such a pleasure to have a, a conversation with you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And that is Grant Smear, who's a director at Only Realty Group, wrapping up the Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Kumalo. Unfortunately, I can see Megan Matthews has not claimed that uh, 2,000 rands uh, cash prize that is in the money bag. And so we are going to have a rollover tomorrow evening. Uh, a part of me is interested to see how far we're going to have this rollover for. I think it would be quite interesting if you get to 10,000 rands. I know many of you at home are you know, watching with bated breath how far we are going to go well we'll see who tomorrow evening's winner is remember continue engaging with that post on our facebook page it's the pinned post where we're looking at having twenty thousand comments on that post and that is how we wrap it up this evening on the private property podcast with myself i'll be back on your screens tomorrow evening at 7 p.m you can look forward to Mbali Nuoko bringing you the farming podcast at 8 p.m. Until then, hoping you're staying home and staying safe.
Thank you.